This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. I'm your charming host this week, Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be here with you guys. Now, today's topic is one that actually is technically not a foreign policy in and of itself, but it frequently has a lot of foreign policy implications, and it's something that just happened recently in the last week or so, so I thought it would be worth talking about, and that's the idea of a national state of emergency. And so we're going to talk about what happened this week as Donald Trump declared a national emergency dealing with border issues, border security. But also I want to talk a little bit about what that means, what is a national state of emergency, uh, how it's been used in the past, what other presidents have done, uh, how many states of emergency we're currently in, which may surprise you, and kind of what the implications are on what Donald Trump is actually able to do with this national state of emergency with the border. But before we dive into that, I just want to say again, if you have any topics out there that you're a listener and you decide you want to hear about, you want me to talk about on the air, please you know, get in contact with me. Let me know. I'll leave my contact information at the end of the episode like I always do. Uh, so if you are interested in any specific topic, foreign policy, current events, and you'd like me to cover it on the air, just let me know. I'd love to uh, hear what you guys are interested in, and I can put those into the rotation uh, for future episodes. So now let's go ahead and dive into what actually happened last week, and then we'll get into the background of what this state of emergency is. So last week, there was the threat of a, another government shutdown. We've had quite a few of these recently, but there was another threat, um, and we thought that we might be going into some sort of government shutdown again, but a bipartisan funding deal was arranged, and Donald Trump agreed to sign the bill that would that would avert this kind of looming government shutdown but as part of this congress agreed to give him only a portion of the money that he had requested for building the the famous fence uh, that he wants to put along the border between the united states and mexico now this podcast we're not going to get into the fence itself uh, that could be a whole other issue in and of itself but this is something that Donald Trump has been wanting to do for a long time. It was one of his campaign promises was to build the wall. You probably heard that that chant, build the wall, build the wall. Uh, and it's become kind of a, a mantra for his, his supporters. But it's also become a little bit bigger of an issue because of the so-called caravan that was traversing across Mexico, coming from other Central American countries, trying to cross the border into the United States. And so the issue of immigration, uh, specifically illegal immigration of people who are undocumented or whatever phrase you want to use, coming across the border in droves. And this has been an issue for, for a long time, um, partly because, and this is where Donald Trump and his supporters really focus, that occasionally brings along with it things like drugs and gangs and cartels. And we have seen a lot of uh, drugs that have come across the border through immigration issues. And so this has been an issue for a long time. Uh, obviously, it's it, there's kind of a, a partisan perspective on this because a lot of the people who are coming as well need like refugee status, and there's a lot of struggles. There's things that they are fleeing in their home countries. Again, I'm not going to get into that issue today. That, again, could be something for a future episode. But 
this is a little bit of the backstory of why Donald Trump has promised this idea of the wall for so long. So he had asked Congress for billions of dollars to build the wall. In particular, I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six billion dollars that he had requested. Uh, I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but he had requested this. Congress has long been saying no, uh, mostly led by the Democrats on the left side of the aisle. But as part of this new budget bill that was passed just last week to avoid the government shutdown, they agreed to give him part of that money. I think it was something like one one and a half billion that they agreed to funnel towards border security, not specifically the wall, but border security in general. And so this was supposed to be kind of an appeasement, but Donald Trump has basically suggested that this was not enough, uh, that he needs the full amount. And so he declared just last week on Friday a national emergency on this border with Mexico because a national emergency grants him access to billions of dollars in government funds that he can now kind of funnel towards whatever he chooses to do so. And so he took this kind of unilateral action uh, within, I think, 12 or so hours of Congress passing the spending measure that didn't give him as much money as he wanted to do so. So let's talk about what this means. So a national emergency, he officially declared what's called a state of emergency. And the U.S. Constitution actually breaks down for us what this is. And basically, the Constitution explicitly provides what are called emergency powers. And the idea here is that there's a few different cases when a national emergency can be declared by either Congress or the president. And it basically allows the government to do a couple things. Uh, first, it can authorize the government to call force the militia to execute laws or to suppress some sort of insurrection if there's like a rebellion going on, or if uh, another country chooses to invade, Congress can authorize the government to you know, send troops very rapidly. So it allows for a much more rapid movement of troops. But interestingly, when the declaration comes from the president or from the executive branch, there's actually a whole series of other laws that kind of go into effect. And in particular, uh, one of the big ones, is, and the one that kind of plays into what's happening now, is that it allows the president to funnel money from one part of the government to another much more rapidly. And the reason for this is if there is some sort of massive state of emergency uh, where there is like an invasion or rebellion or a natural disaster, it frequently happens like this, it allows you to move money very rapidly to help deal with those situations. So if there was some sort of natural disaster and there wasn't any money in the budget at the moment for relief efforts, uh, the government or the president could execute this kind of state of national emergency and use money from other areas to fund the relief efforts. So there's actually some, some really good reasons behind why to do this, but it's essentially this idea of allowing the executive branch to move money around much more rapidly without having to go through massive approval processes. Now, we've seen this done in other areas. Other countries as well have similar situations. Uh, see, there was one uh, just earlier last year where uh, Ethiopia declared a, a six-month-long state of emergency because their prime minister resigned and there was some situations that were going on there. Uh, Myanmar has declared a state of emergency due to sectarian violence. I actually did a whole podcast episode where we talked about the Rohingya population in Myanmar. That's also considered a state of emergency. Uh, Venezuela is currently under a state of emergency due to mass protests. I did a whole episode just recently on Venezuela. So we've seen this many, many times. Actually, the United States declared a state of emergency, as you would expect, after 9-11. President Bush at the time declared a national emergency in response to the 9-11 attacks. And actually, that national emergency 
is still technically in effect. And again, it's, it's something that was put into place by Bush, but both Obama and Trump have continually renewed it every year. And it will remain into effect at least until September of 2019, later this year, when Donald Trump will most likely extend it again. Now, one of the longest states of emergency in the world is actually in Israel. They've been under a state of emergency since 1948, pretty much since their founding. But most states of emergency are not nearly that long. That said, however, and what, what I want to talk a little bit more in detail about is United States national emergencies. There was a, an act that was passed in the 1970s, in 1976, uh, U.S. federal law. It, it passed and was basically put into place to end all previous states of national emergency, but also to formalize the emergency powers that the president specifically has. And it was signed under Gerald Ford. And basically what, what happened here is they wanted to standardize the way to implement and ultimately to terminate any future national emergencies. And so they put into place some, some basically new rules about how, how to go about this and formalizing some of the powers around it. Now, since this point, we have seen quite a few national emergencies signed off on and declared by the presidents. And in fact, since 1976, when Gerald Ford signed off on this National Emergencies Act, Every single president since has declared at least one national emergency. And in fact, we are nearing, I want to say we're either right at or very close to hitting 60 national emergencies that have been declared in the last 40 years. And so we're talking more than one national emergency per year, about one every year and a half, actually, sorry, about one and a half every year. And so what we've seen is that presidents have frequently gone to this well for a variety of reasons. And we're going to talk through what some of the other ones are in a minute. But just as some examples, Jimmy Carter has actually declared a couple. In fact, one of Jimmy Carter's is still in effect. We'll talk about that in a minute. Ronald Reagan declared about five or six. Uh, Bill Clinton actually declared, I think, 17 at one point. Both Obama and Bush, uh, Bush Jr. are around the 12 or 13 mark. And until last Friday, Trump had declared three so far. So this would, be, would have been his fourth. Now, the focus of these national emergencies over the time have ranged wildly. And in fact, the oldest one that is still in effect was uh, President Jimmy Carter's, which was designed to block Iranian uh, government property after the hostage crisis in Tehran, in Iran, back in 1979. So this was a, a provision that took place in November of 1979, and it was an executive order that was passed basically, uh, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of a quote here from Jimmy Carter from the executive order that he signed, saying that he finds that the situation in Iran constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to national security, foreign policy, and economy of the United States, and hereby declare a national emergency to deal with that threat. And so as part of this, basically all property and interests in the property of the government of the country of Iran were blocked. And this executive order actually exists until today. It's the oldest one that is currently still in existence. And that actually raises some interesting questions because that means that the United States has been in a state of emergency for about 40 years right now, um, at least under the, this one state of emergency. That said, there are actually quite a few others that we are currently under. As of just a couple days ago, not including the Trump one, there are 31 national emergencies in this country still open and in effect. That means we have 31 national emergencies that have never been terminated in this country. And again, the, the oldest being President Carter's, which was blocking you know, government property of Iran. We have President Reagan's that was put into place in the 80s that banned trade with Nicaragua. Uh, President Clinton put one in place back in 1995 that was about kind of disrupting some of the Middle East peace processes by prohibiting any sort of trade or transactions with terrorists. 
Uh, President Obama declared one over the H1N1 uh, flu virus. That, that was a huge epidemic back in 2008 or 2009, I believe. And so he declared a state of emergency over the spread of H1N1, which again, still has not been closed. And so even though most Americans have not been really aware of it, uh, the United States has been under at least one and frequently more than one state of emergency continuously for the last 40 years. Now, other states of emergency that the United States is currently under or have passed in the past have been targeting countries of Yemen, Syria, North Korea, others. There's a variety of sanctions against different terrorist groups, uh, including the Bush one after 9-11. Uh, there was one about nuclear weapons. There was one that was concerning diamonds that were imported from Sierra Leone, which if you're familiar with the movie Blood Diamond, it was dealing with a lot of that, that a lot of people were dying in, in pursuit of these diamonds. As I said, the swine flu. But let's kind of jump forward a little bit in time and talk about Trump's. Because Trump, as I said, has, has um, declared the three. And so let's talk about what these are. So the first one that Donald Trump declared was in December of 2017. So it was about a year, uh, not quite a year after he took office, a little over a year from when he was elected in the in the November election in 2016. But he his very first one was when he sanctioned 13 people for human rights abuses and corruption. Uh, and mostly this was dealing with the ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya population that I've talked about, the minority population in Myanmar. Uh, so a lot of these people that were sanctioned, and he basically threw a lot of sanctions at a variety of generals and heads of state, these were people that were involved in or accused of ordering executions and mass murder of this uh, minority group of the Rohingya in Myanmar. And so his very first one that he declared was about uh, protecting this ethnic and religious minority population in another country. Uh, so it's, it's the Rohingya people and they're a Muslim people group that have been under massive persecution. If you're actually interested in the Rohingya uh, population at all, go ahead and check out one of my old uh, episodes from probably a few months back now. Uh, I talked about the Rohingya because it's one of these uh, huge human rights abuses and epidemics that's taking place that a lot of people don't even realize is even happening, but it's one of the worst in the world uh, as this population is basically being massacred by the, the military of Myanmar. And so the very first national emergency that Trump ever declared was about protecting and sanctioning uh, this situation. Uh, now, the second one that he declared came about, was it now, four or five months ago in September of just last year in 2018. Uh, most people found this one to be way too broad. And so there was a lot of criticism of it at the time. But it was basically this idea of targeting and sanctioning anybody who they find to be involved in hacking elections. Uh, so anybody who is ha has hacked or involved in some sort of social media campaign for the purpose of influencing uh, US elections, he, he issued this national emergency in order to sanction people that are caught doing this. And so it was targeted at the Russians, uh, it was targeted at anybody else who is involved in any sort of hacking scandal. Again, it's very broad and vague. It doesn't actually really mention specific people by name because as most of you are probably familiar with, if you've, if you've been following this, not a whole lot has actually been proven about this kind of hacking accusation, but if it ever happens, that would fall under this executive order uh, of state of emergency that Trump issued back in September. Now, the most recent one, uh, up up until the one just on, just on this last Friday, was declared back in November. And this was a his third national emergency, and it was over Nicaragua. Now, if you aren't familiar with Nicaragua a whole lot, there's a president there by the name of Daniel Ortega. He is frequently referred to as a dictator, uh, even though his official title is the president. Uh, he's an autocrat. He's very brutal. And they've been using, I'm going to quote here, 
indiscriminate violence and repressive tactics against civilians. And so Trump's third national emergency was um, declared over this particular regime. And he was basically uh, blocking property again of you know, certain people, anybody who was involved in some of these gross human rights abuses or anything I think that undermined democratic processes or institutions in Nicaragua as well. That was Trump's third one and third one within about a span of a year up until again this past Friday. Now, going forward with uh, President Trump and this particular most recent one that just happened on Friday, I want to talk a little bit about what he theoretically could do, as well as what the implications of this are likely to be. Because this is, while this is certainly not his first national emergency, it's not the country's first. I mean, obviously, this is now number 32 that the country is currently under. So it's not like you know there's any sort of shortage of other national emergencies out there. Other presidents have done this. Others have done it way more than him. Uh, particularly, he's done it now four times in the span of a little over two years. But this is one of the first times that we've seen this particular type of national emergency put into place because this was a situation where Donald Trump himself, in one of his speeches, argued that this was not something he needed to do, which honestly is probably going to come back to bite him. Um, now, I again, I don't want to get into the politics of whether this was a right thing or wrong thing to do, but the purpose of national states of emergency that you can declare are you, the whole purpose of there is, is it something that's necessary? It's something that you need to do to protect people, to rescue people, um, to sanction others for their involvement in things. It's, it's usually seen as something that is necessary or close to necessary. And so Trump's own admission that this is not necessary is different. And then further, the reason that he ultimately ends up doing this is because he asks Congress for something and Congress says no. And so he basically is responding to Congress's refusal to grant him the money for this. And again, without getting into the details of, of whether or not this is good or bad or anything, because that gets into a whole other issue on border security, it is unusual. And so there's a lot of concern about what this may actually end up looking like. At first, too, I, I'll mention that this de declaration of a national emergency will almost certainly end up in the courts. Uh, there are already people in Congress who have basically said that they they plan to sue. Uh, Donald Trump himself admitted that he expects to be sued over this. Uh, he he also then expects to be uh, expects to win at the Supreme Court level. So he expects this to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And there was actually an advocacy group called Public Citizen, and this is a group that was representing a handful of landowners of Texans who are kind of right along the border. And they're very concerned that their property might end up being seized to put in this this wall or this fence. And so Public Citizen actually by the end of the day Friday had already filed a, a lawsuit. Uh, it's also quite likely that we're going to see individual states file lawsuits. Both California and New York have announced that they plan to sue. I don't think they've actually formally filed suit yet, but that seems to be coming down the road as well. It's quite possible we're going to see individual Congress members or groups of Congress members get involved with this too. The House Judiciary Committee, which is uh, a committee as part of the, the House of Representatives, announced on Friday that it was going to investigate the claim that this was an emergency that needed it. Uh, House Democrats have already argued that they're going to try to introduce laws that will block it. Uh, now, you can't technically block a national state of emergency, but if they can find some loopholes, they can find specific laws that may allow them to block block it more practically as opposed to like blocking it specifically or legally. There are about a half dozen or so Republican senators who have criticized this declaration of a state of emergency as well, uh, which 
means that any legislation that the Democrats do introduce does have a chance of being passed. Now, obviously, there's still not enough votes, at least it looks like at this point, to overrule any sort of presidential veto. So even if it does pass both houses of Congress, Donald Trump could veto it and they wouldn't be able to overturn that. So introducing this legislation is unlikely to do anything specifically uh, unless they can get more votes on their side. But the court system is likely where we're going to see this play out uh, much more readily. Now, Donald Trump has basically said, and he's actually announced some of these details, the emergency declaration, according to like officials in the executive branch in the White House, gives Trump the ability to divert something like three and a half, $3.6 billion from other military construction projects. So there are other military construction projects going on right now that he would be diverting money from towards the wall. Uh, there's also some more, I should say, more basic presidential discretionary funds that he would be able to tap into. That you could get money from counter-narcotics programs, counter-terrorism programs. Uh, there's an asset forfeiture fund at the Treasury Department that he could draw from. And when you combine this with the, I think it was 1.4-ish billion that came through the spending package that got passed last Thursday, Trump would have somewhere in the neighborhood of about $8 billion for all the, the border security that he is trying to implement here. Now, most of the, the military construction money that he's taking are currently things that are building things like gyms, uh, base housing for on military bases. And it is one of only two emergency declarations now that technically falls under military action. There are others that, there are, I think, three others that are under weapons restrictions, but most emergency declarations that are out there are sanctions-related or trade regulations. But when you count the weapons and the military action, this is one of about five uh, ongoing military declarations, and actually the first since 9-11 to authorize some sort of military action. Now, we don't know yet exactly which projects are going to be delayed or shelved even as funds get diverted away from them and towards this border security issue. That's something that will probably come down the road as, as they probably figure it out themselves. And so there's a lot of things about this particular decision that are going to need to be watched closely, uh, in particular as it goes towards a legal decision, as it goes in, into the court system. Uh, it's going to take some time to work its way up the, the chain, go through some lower courts first. There is a decent chance that Trump is right here that's going to end up at the Supreme Court at some point in time. As it works its way through, it is quite possible that there will be judicial decisions that delay or put it, somehow put on hold various aspects of, of this uh, money diversion. And so it's quite possible this whole thing will be delayed. But ultimately, I, I would just add to that I think a lot of the criticism here is a little bit overblown. But I do want to just say there, there is some precedent that kind of goes back. Uh, people will cite things, uh, these kind of inherent, say, constitutional powers that the president takes during emergency, like these emergency powers that are very, very broad and have at times been exploited for personal purposes or gone too far. Uh, probably the most notorious example of this uh, goes back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. A lot of people cite him as being one of these great presidents, but when you really look at his his record, you know, he had one of the worst, he did one of the worst things you could possibly do as a president by taking and interning U.S. citizens, residents of, of Japanese descent, any, any Japanese Americans and locking them up in these concentration camps, essentially, uh, during World War II. And this was something that he did citing national emergency powers, uh, that he said this was a state of national emergency. So he basically had his military go around and lock up people of Japanese descent. And so you have 
a handful of cases like this throughout American history where you can point to another famous example of this going back even further. Uh, Abraham Lincoln actually got criticized quite heavily during his time because he suspended, unilaterally suspended the writ of habeas corpus, which has to do with how you treat prisoners or other detainees. And Lincoln himself kind of acknowledged at the time that his suspension of habeas corpus was kind of questionable constitutionally. But he, he defended it. He believed it was necessary. He cited emergency powers. Uh, so that was another case. President George Bush, more recently, his programs dealing with wiretapping and torture after the 9-11 attacks, so the waterboarding incidences, the Guantanamo Bay, these were things that were again cited as necessary under emergency powers from the state of emergency. Uh, President Obama and his use of drones to attack have caught up quite a few civilians in the crossfire, so that's another concern. And so there are cases where presidents have kind of crossed the line uh, when using these emergency powers. And so there are some legitimate concerns that this may happen again. So when you see people getting worked up about this, you know, those are the type of historical cases that you might or that they may be thinking of. Um, I've always kind of shaken my head a little bit when people talk about Trump as some sort of like maniacal tyrant, uh, you know, who's who should be feared and all of these things. I, I, I do think that's a that part of it's a little bit overblown. But anytime you have a state of emergency that that's declared, you do have to look at it carefully. And this will be looked at very carefully, much more so than many others because of the legal implications here and because it's likely to go through the courts uh, much more so than a lot of others would be as well, at least in the past. But either way, I, I do think this is something to keep a close eye on. I'm not 100% sure this is going to lead to anything in the immediate future just because as I kind of mentioned, the legal process is going to slow this down drastically. And even if he does get the money to build the wall or whatever, that's going to be a slow process. It's going to take years to to do because they're going to need to get the land first of which belongs to a lot of U.S. citizens. So they're either going to need to buy it or seize it, which would introduce more legal issues. And then the whole construction process would take time too. So this is something that's going to be stretched out over the course of several years. And honestly, if Trump doesn't win election in 2020, uh, just a year and a half away now, you know, this whole thing might be stopped at that point in time anyway. But that again, that's a whole other issue. Now, as far as what's going to happen to the state of emergency in terms of its legal declaration, it's quite likely that it's going to just linger. Most states of emergency have re been renewed for years on end. And actually, since the law was put into place 40 years ago, that National Emergencies Act law in 1976, Congress hasn't even met once to vote on whether or not to end states of emergency. A handful have, have lapsed, which is why it's not 58, it's actually 31, but they've never like actually met to even stop some of these, including many that aren't even particularly relevant anymore. And most of these just get end up getting renewed, you know, years and years on end, one after another. But again, from a legal perspective, these types of states of emergency are kind of in a, a gray area. There was actually a Supreme Court decision in 1944. It was called Korematsu versus the United States. It actually dealt with the internment of Japanese Americans. As I mentioned, this is one of the, the more infamous cases of, of presidential power going way too far. But the Supreme Court decision actually upheld that. And so sometimes even the most egregious examples of presidential overreach and presidential power gone awry will sometimes even be upheld by by the courts because the constitutional limits kind of set forth here are fairly ambiguous. They're vague and the courts have not always known what to do with them. So what this particular state of emergency will 
will amount to practically is still very much up in the air. There's a lot that still remains to be seen. There are states of emergency, emergency that have been put into place that didn't actually end up doing much of anything practically, or they were very minor sanctions that were put into place, didn't affect much. So that's quite possible that this may end up being something similar where money doesn't end up being diverted in the way that we think it will. There have been other suggestions for how to get this money. I just saw one recently about Ted Cruz suggesting we use El Chapo, the famous drug lords, seized money for it. Uh, so it may be that the state of emergency ends up not meaning a whole lot. It could mean that it ends up going into the courts and lingers there for the next decade or more uh, as it works its way up through the court system and you know, continually gets delayed, put on hold, and then re reinstituted and then put on hold again at the next level all the way up to the Supreme Court. There are a lot of different ways that this particular issue could take, a lot of different routes. So just keep an eye on this as you're going forward. There's still a lot we don't know and probably won't know for a long time. But it is an issue that will be in the public consciousness for at least the next couple of years of Trump's presidency, maybe another six years if he's in office a second term, and potentially even for decades as we go forward. But with all of that, I think we're about to shut down the episode today. I appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in and listen. I hope that was interesting for you. I learned a little bit about states of emergency and what they are and what some of their implications are and some of the history there. But with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out. If you'd like to get in contact with me or to follow me more closely, you can always find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. Hit that follow button. Subscribe to the podcast as well. Whatever platform you're listening to, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever other platform you're using, hit that subscribe button. Also, leave me a review. I would really appreciate that. And if you're interested in following me on Facebook as well, I have a page there. It's J. Robert Kinney. I write fiction novels and I write under that name. So if you're interested in checking out those books, I have two that are available on Amazon. One called Precipice that came out about three years ago and the other one called Splintered State, which came out just this uh, past November. So please go ahead and check out both of those as well. If you'd like to get in contact with me because you're interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast, or advertising on the podcast in any way, shape, or form, please let me know. I would be happy to talk with you more, more about that possibility. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and close things out. My name is Justin Kinney. This is Nutshell Politics, and I am out in three, two, one.